The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the web. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, From Victim to Victor, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft. She's testified many times in Congress and the California Legislature on privacy and identity theft issues. And you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, ABC, O'Reilly Factor, and many other shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash privacypiracy. Hey, Mari, what's our show about today? Well, Lloyd, today our show is about risk. And whenever we're thinking about data and sensitive data, we have to think about risk and what we can do to avoid it or protect that data. And we have two guests with us coming from beautiful Dallas, Texas. And let me just tell you a little bit about them. First, we have Heather Goodnight, who is the co-founder and president of Risk Centric Security. She's been a highly accomplished global sales and business development consultant at several companies, including Acuvent, White House Security, Tufin Technologies, and Dambala Inc. And with her, we also have another great expert, and that is Patrick Floor. Patrick is the co-founder and CTO of Risk-Centric Security. He is a newly appointed fellow of the Poneman Institute, which you know that I'm also with that wonderful research uh, program, uh, the Poneman Institute, and Larry Poneman, who's been on our show many, many times. Patrick has th- 32 years of IT experience, including roles in information technology operations, development, and system analysis. He also has 17 years in working in medical outcomes research, and that included analysis and the creation of evidence-based guidelines for medical treatment. From 1986 until 2010, he was working as an independent consultant helping customers with strategic development, analytic risk analysis, and decision-making. And so you can find out more about them and the company at riskcentricsecurity.com. Thank you both for joining us today. Thank you, Mari. Thank you, Mari. Well, I have a bunch of questions, so it'll be, I just want to warn you that the people who are listening are business people, uh, students, privacy experts, security experts. So for those of us who are not the security experts, I hope you can kind of um, make it a little bit more user-friendly so we understand all these complex issues in the most uh easy way especially for me i'm i come from the privacy side and you come from the security side and i know that you're both really much more technology uh savvy than i am so kind of help us out here let's start out with heather heather how do risk assessments especially quantitative ones add value to an organization well my uh, quantitative models actually represent the problem mathematically 
So if you're using quantitative methods, you can actually make decisions better. Um, so once the problem has been adequately structured or solutions can then you know, be employed to find the best risk mitigation or risk treatment um, for that particular problem uh, so that um, you know, that particular analysis would add value quantitatively. Um, so if you think of it like this, if you deconstructed each of the information systems contributing to the overall business, mathematically you'd be able to assess an overall risk in dollars. So to be able to see across all the silos in any organization and the relative risk they represent to the business really allows the organization to make decisions based on their own risk tolerance. And, and I think that is helpful because people are looking for what is quantitative. I mean, how can we really look at this instead of subjectively, really look at it objectively? Patrick, what do you mean by a to quantify a risk? I think a lot of us don't really know how you can do that. Well, a couple of things. Um, simply put, to quantify a risk means to express it in terms of dollars and cents. So, um, for example, when we use the word risk uh, in our risk analysis discussions, risk tolerance discussions with people, we're, we're talking about the, the financial impact. So um, to give you an example, you know, say an insurance claim, it always works down to an amount of money. Right. So we usually think of, of, of the quantification process in, in a couple of steps. We will attempt to quantify the frequency. That's to say how often might something occur. And we we tend to think of it on an annual basis. So, simplest example, if the frequency were one, that would mean we'd expect it to happen one time per year, ten, ten times per year. And numbers less than one uh, mean every so many years. So, like, 0.5 for the frequency would mean expect it once every two years. So that's one component. The other component of quantifying a risk is making an estimate of uh, the magnitude of harm. Um, if this event were to happen, what might it cost? Sometimes we multiply the numbers together. Sometimes we don't. Um, the reason for multiplying them together is to, to create a sort of a common denominator for all your risks. But one of the things that can happen when you multiply things together Let's say you've identified a risk with a potential impact of a million dollars, and you've determined it could happen as frequently as 10 times per year. So if you multiply it together, 10 times a million, you get 10 million. Mm. Well, that's the same number as if you have a very rare risk that you might see once every 10 years at $10 million. And so often it's important to keep the frequency separate because the, the 10 times per year kind of risk you'd probably want to deal with one way, say with some type of control or change in policy or procedure, but the $10 million risk you might think about transferring that with insurance or reinsurance. So all of those are examples of risk as, as a financial impact. So CFO says, What's our risk? What he or she is really wanting to hear is 
a number, a million dollars, five million, a range of numbers, something like that. Right. And the insurance carriers have to do this all the time because they have to decide how much they're going to charge you and whether they even want to give you the insurance if you're insurable, if the risk is too high and they lose a lot of money, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So, Heather, thinking about maybe a smaller company, you know, nowadays, even a, a mom-and-pop Internet company that does business internationally could really have a huge risk, right? Correct. And, and so uh, let's talk about why you want to talk about risk even. Well, you actually just mentioned it, right? So, you, <laughs> you know, you mentioned insurance, right? So yeah. in every other discipline, pretty much, besides outside of information security, risk is a very prominent com- component, right? So analysts can define it, they can price it, they can trade it, they can accept it. But if you are able to enable information security professionals to actually translate risk quantitatively, it would create huge benefits. So if you think about it from the opposite effect, you know, if you didn't have a clear understanding in dollars and cents of the risk associated with the security and privacy of data and the financial impact of that, um, then organizations, you know, wouldn't be able to clear it Exactly. And I think what happens is some of these little companies or these technology companies that are all excited or these app companies that get right into it. I mean, when you think about it, anybody can create anything and create a company and they get so excited about the company that they don't think about the risk. And then all of a sudden there's a huge data breach and it's going to cost them a fortune and they didn't even think about it. So I think everybody listening here, whether you're a student and maybe you're creating creating apps that you want to sell, or whether you're a business person driving by, we're talking about stuff that affects all of us, even my office. Even if you're a sole practitioner, a small law office, or a, an accounting office, anyone who you know collects any kind of sensitive data is really someone who should consider risk. Wouldn't you think so, Patrick? Well, I was going to cite a couple of a couple of things. Technology is this huge lever, and we all have at our disposal now, you know, so much computing power and storage. I mean, even our smartphones have capabilities that the government's computers didn't have back in the '60s. Um, so, you know, we we don't think about that kind of stuff. The other thing I wanted to mention is especially in the arena of uh, protected health information. Oh, yeah. Uh, The state of California has been particularly aggressive in levying what seemed to me to be disproportionate fines. There was was a clinic, uh, a small clinic, that was cited for the inadvertent or, or, or some type of disclosure of medical information for nine people and... Some board in California, whoever's in charge of this, hit them with a $225,000 fine. Mm. And for a small clinic, you know, we're not talking a mega hospital like the Stanford Hospital chain or the, you know, city hospitals of Los Angeles. We're talking about just, you know, a couple of practitioners with a clinic and a $225,000 fine may have put them out of business. I don't know. So it's just everybody has to be aware that these things could happen to them. 
Exactly. Exactly. So let's talk about information systems and the, the risk of information systems. What what are we really talking about? Um, and that would be you, Patrick. Yeah. Yeah. So information systems and and the information they process and contain fall into a category called operational risk. Uh, when the risk wonks get together, you know, we, we tend to divide the world into a number of categories. You've got financial risk, financial market risk, which is what we saw in the meltdown, you know, some years ago. You've got credit worthiness risk, which, you know, lenders are always assessing. And then you have operational risk, which are those kinds of, of uh impacts that you might be subject to or harms just because you're in a particular line of business. Um, information systems are, are pretty much the lifeblood of all business, so everybody really has um, information risk. Now, we in information security, we speak of a triad of, of attributes called CINA, confidentiality of information, integrity of information, and availability of information. Um, privacy weaves in and out of all three of these things, really, but primarily between um, confidentiality and integrity. So those are the three primary things that uh, organizations are trying to protect with their information, and the failure to protect those things it can can be quite costly. There, there are three really poster boy uh, examples in the last four or five years. The TJX company right. uh, has spent over $170 million, according to their SEC filings, uh, dealing with the effects of their data breach. Heartland Payment Systems, yes. somewhere around 110 to $120 million. Again, I get my numbers from SEC filings. And then the Sony Corporation, right after the earthquake some time ago, um, actually acknowledged they had spent in the first couple months $171 million. Mm. So, uh, you know, this is not just pocket change or walking around money. This, this is big stuff, even for multi-billion dollar corporations. And it, it comes down to, in most cases, uh, somewhat lax policies with regard to security. Although I think it's important to stress that there's no such thing as perfect security, and there's the only way you can guarantee the perfect protection of CINA would be to simply cease operating your business. Exactly. You know, the Privacy Rights Clearinghouse has kept a chronology of the data breaches since 2005 when that first one with ChoicePoint became public. And if you look at that, and those of you who are listening, if you go to privacyrights.org and look at their chronology of breaches on the left-hand side, you can find the menu. You can see what kinds of breaches that, you know, in the financial industry, you can search by the industry, you can even search by, you know, how big it is. And there are small ones that cost a fortune. So, you know, you're hearing about hard payment system, um, you're hearing about Sony, you're hearing about all these different huge breaches, but 
even a small breach can be very, very expensive. And not only is it expensive in like notification, think about the brand. How does it, how does your reputation and, and Larry Poneman has done several studies on the effect on people. It just really bothers people to think, oh my gosh, are they that uh, poor with their security and privacy? So these are, this is not just financial out-of-pocket costs. It's the cost that affects you in your brand, right? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And um, even if it's not brand, one of the breaches that's in the news the last two weeks, the uh, Department of Revenue for the state of South Carolina uh, just announced two weeks ago or three that <laughs> they had made available to anyone who wished to look and in a breach, the, the tax returns, uh, completely unencrypted of 3.6 million residents. Right, with their Social Security numbers Everything. in there and their tax ID and their account <laughs> numbers. Because if you think of what is on that tax return, oh, my goodness, you know, yeah, we have all comes. of our account numbers with Schwab or Fidelity, right? I mean, this yeah. is just a treasure trove for identity thieves, it's it is incredible. Yeah. Now, Heather, how do you uh, how do organizations typically measure and assess information and information systems risk? Well, in my experience, companies really migrate to popular risk assessment approaches like NIST or Octave, ISO COVID, Risk IT, Basel II. You know, all of which use a qualitative approach with mm-hmm. words like low, medium, high or green, yellow, red. Yes. So those words are then associated with ranges of probability and financial impact. But if you really stop and think about it, you're having a person who's making an estimation of a financial risk, right, to assign to a category like low or green, the first thing they have to do is come up with a number. So, you know, we look at it like our approach is simply state the number or a range that can't be used. Um, and all kinds of methods to extract, to actually extract a, a quantitative financial impact that is suited really for, you know, arithmetic and, and statistical analysis. Yes. You know, it, it, when you said about red, yellow, and green, it just reminded me of like when we are on high alert with the terrorists. And, and you go, what the heck does that mean, red, yellow, green? I mean, exactly. what does it really mean? We have no idea. You know, I mean, so what kind of alert? What do I do? Do I, you know, do I stay in my house and hide under the bed? I mean, it's it's pretty crazy because uh, it makes a lot more sense to have quantitative versus qualitative. And, and Well, so, and if I can just jump in, sure. we, we may come to this in a minute, but you tell me how to multiply low times orange. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and yeah, and I'd say, Mari, too, to your example, I always look at it going, I wonder what the range is, you know, is it on the high end of the category for orange? Right. Or we just barely tipped over into orange, right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, you know, at least if you're going to the beach and, and they have like a red flag up, you don't, you know, don't go in the water, right? Okay, so that's easy. But this other stuff is, is pretty insane. Heather, how do you communicate risk to the executives and how do you do that for the rest of the employees? Because... You know, usually the only people that think about risk are the IT people and the security people. And the rest 
of an organization is out there doing the best they can to just market and make money and have a profit, right? Right. Well, and I'd say that um, people that have adopted uh, quantitative risk analysis um, are used to being communicated so um, in financial terms, right? So we communicate to the executives in financial terms. And in turn, the executives, you know, in my opinion, and I've seen this done, should also communicate to the employees in the same way. Because that way, they would actually, you know, it would be sort of like revealed as an unacceptable level of risk or what it might be like um, they might develop some sort of risk treatment or mitigation um, that would be in line with the amount of risk that particular project or problem or whatever it might be initiative carries. And um, then they'll be responsible, right? So they can make a decision as a business stakeholder easily, right? Do I accept the risk on this particular application, let's say, for example, because um, it, it, you know, people are telling me it carries a you know, $100,000 worth of risk. Well, I know the minute I launch it, I'm going to make a million dollars. So I'm going to accept the risk on that one because the, the mitigating you know, solution may be I have to recode the whole thing or maybe I have to buy some sort of technologies um, to put in front of that application that would keep it safe. So the, when you really think about it, I mean, the people and the employees, they actually understand numbers. Think back to our previous conversation. They don't understand, right? Green, yellow, red. Yeah. Although, you know, I, I, it made me remember my one of my first, I guess it was my first year in law school when we studied the Pinto case. And you remember that the Pinto case had these exploding gas tanks. If they got hit just maybe at five miles an hour, the, the Pinto, maybe you're too young to remember. No, my, <laughs> right, my first car was the Pinto, a okay. Pinto. So you know, okay, so you know what I'm talking about. Remember when all those, um, you could get hit by maybe two miles an hour and the gas tank would explode? And right. then, And then I remember reading that case so many years ago, but... What happened was it was a risk analysis. Well, if we if we change this one fifteen cent piece, okay, um, should we should we change it? And then they did a risk analysis to see how many accidents and how much it would cost them and lawsuits or whatever. And that all came out in the lawsuit. But what it ended up doing is killing so many people. And of course, then there were huge damages because they wouldn't spend the fifteen cents per car to fix the gas tank so it wouldn't explode. So, uh, you know, it, it's interesting how people look at that, that, you know, we have to look at more than just the numbers and look at really what is the impact. Do we not want to spend the money to to be, you know, have better security and better privacy and then have, you know, thousands of victims like, you know, that become victims of identity theft, like what you were talking about could happen to all these people whose tax returns were put online? I mean... When you're looking at the numbers, you also have to look at, gee, um, what else are we really doing to the people that are involved? So I think it has to be kind of a blend of, yes, we want to know quantitatively, but we also want to know the quality of what we're doing. Don't they have to be hand in hand, Heather? Yeah, I completely agree with you. And they need not to be made in silos. So you can have think about it in a large organization, um, and let's say that you were communicating um, risk, right, to each of the, the lines of business, but no one was looking at it accurately, I can't speak, uh, holistically maybe, that's yes, a better yeah, word. Yeah, yeah. So if you have nobody looking at it from a 
steps like we kind of referred to with the financial collapse, right? Yes. You could end up taking on too much risk. So even if an individual like business line and said, hmm, I'm, I'm going to accept that risk, I'm willing to take that risk, right? But if you've got everybody doing it with nobody looking from the top, then you could, to your point, right? Yes, <laughs> your business yes. story. Yes. You can end up killing people or you can end up going out of business. Right. So I think at this point we've been talking about all this risk. So why don't you explain a little bit about what your company does? I mean, we're not, you know, commercial here, but but I think it's important to know what your company does to help companies so that they can make this uh, proper quantitative and qualitative analysis. Um, can you tell us, Patrick? Well, we do a couple things. Um, we have a course that we teach called Introduction to Quantitative Risk Analysis, and uh, it covers a wide range of concepts ranging from definitions of risk to definitions of measurement. Um, There's a certain amount of influence, I feel, from epidemiology, since I did work all those years in evidence-based medicine. Right. it's, it's just a different set of words we use to talk about risk. So uh, we also talk about the basic concepts and probability. There is a little bit of math, but not a lot. Uh, we talk about, you know, some issues of presentation. And uh, the course runs for six to eight hours uh, as, a, as a web-delivered uh, course, so people just sit at their computers, and, and we converse and, and we teach. Um, we also do consulting, um, both of risk and also of opportunity. One of the things that, that people who don't work in this area might not realize is that the same techniques that you use to analyze and quantify the harms can also be used in sales and marketing analysis to quantify opportunity and benefit. So we do work in both those areas, risk and opportunity. And then lastly, we're in the process, and you you can see the first of these on our website, of developing a a set of what we call probability calculators or probability widgets. We're going to take 6 to 12 of the most typical types of probability parametric probability estimators and make easy-to-use tools for people to put together and work on their own problems. So, for example, right now what we have on the website is called the Beta-PERT calculator, and I'd encourage everyone to go to our website, riskcentriccurity.com, and create a free blog-in and read the use cases and the help file. It's pretty short, and uh, see what you can do with our beta PERT calculator. And as time goes on, we will put up things like, uh, and I don't, I'm probably going to get a little bit into the weeds here, but like normal distribution, log normal, gamma, Poisson, uh, exponential power distributions, and we'll have use cases and explanations for all of these things. That is great. Well, we will. We're just about out of time, so why don't you, Heather, just give your website again, and we'll have to have you back. Awesome. Sure. Thank you, Mari. It's uh, riskcentricsecurity.com. 
Well, you're terrific. Thank you so much, Patrick. You are brilliant. And Heather, you are also brilliant. And you've done a terrific job. I think this is something that everybody needs to know more about. And we thank you. And we will be much more risk conscious. Thank you, Mari. Okay, thank you. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM Minervine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8 a.m. right here on KUCI and visit our website at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy. There you can see our upcoming guests, download podcasts, and let us know about what's important to you in the information age. Thank you. Join us next week. Stay private. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.